Hi, I'm Marty. I'm one of the ministers here at Chatswood Presbyterian Church. Happy Easter to you and welcome again to our Good Friday service. Let's pray as we uh, come to look at the Bible today. Dear Father, as we remember again the cross of Jesus today, we pray that we would understand deeply just what he has done for us. Help us to turn to him as we read your word now and as we realise your love for us and help us by your spirit to put our trust in him. Amen. Well, I wonder if you've ever heard of these guys. Have you ever heard of Brian Poole and the Tremolos? No? I didn't think so. You see, they, uh, they were an English rock band in the early 1960s. On New Year's Day in 1962, the Decca Record Company auditioned two young bands. They were looking to add some fresh talent to their label and hoping to discover the next big thing. So they brought in the Tremolos along with another band and had them play a couple of songs. They met the band members and the record company reached their verdict. Brian Paul and the Tremolos seemed like their best bet, their best chance to churn out some hits and make some cash. And the Tremolos did have some success, modest success, you know, for one or two years in the early 1960s. They, they covered some hit songs of other bands, but they came and went. And you've never heard of them, have you? And the other band at the audition, well, Decca rejected them. They even said of that band, they have no future in show business. The only problem for the Decca executives, though, was that this other band were four young men from Liverpool who called themselves the Beatles. What a missed opportunity. How would you feel afterwards as one of those Decca record executives looking on as the Beatles signed up with rival company EMI and then went on to dominate the charts and change popular culture forever? EMI made millions. Decca lost millions. They squandered the opportunity of a lifetime. Their verdict on the Beatles was a massive blunder. No future in show business. They missed out on signing the most influential band in the history of rock and roll. It's a simple principle, isn't it? You need to be able to make the right call at the right time. Reach the wrong verdict and you could miss out big time. And this Good Friday, as we return to the scene of the cross, the Gospel writer Luke wants us to make the right call about Jesus. The right call about Jesus. Let's look again at the passage we read earlier, Luke chapter 23. Well, the first thing you see here is that Jesus dies a criminal's death. He's stuck in the middle, quite literally, of two convicted crooks, one on his left and one on his right. Jesus is painted with the same brush as these two. In the eyes of society, he's one of them, a criminal. 
Now, Jesus knows that his executioners are blind and they've just got it so wrong. In his perfect mercy, he asks God to forgive them. Yet there he remains among the criminals. Let's read again how Luke describes it, starting at chapter 23 and verse 32. Let's read Luke chapter 23, verse 32 to 34. Two other men, both criminals, were also led out with him to be executed. When they came to the place called the skull, they crucified him there, along with the criminals, one on his right, the other on his left. Jesus said, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they are doing. And they divided up his clothes by casting lots. Notice something surprising about the way Luke goes on to describe Jesus' death. He doesn't dwell on gruesome details or even the unimaginable pain of the cross. No, the rest of this scene is people talking. We see responses to Jesus, different characters declaring their verdict on Jesus and his death. First up, we have the rulers, the Jewish religious leaders who had plotted to kill Jesus. I mean, they had been hearing Jesus claim to be God's chosen one, his Messiah. Jesus had even claimed to have the authority to forgive sins. In their eyes, that was, was Jesus equating himself with God. How dare he do that? Jesus even said he hadn't come to call the so-called righteous people of society, the good people. No, he'd come to call the sinners. It was like he was excluding the rulers from God's kingdom. But here he is now, nailed to a cross. And he claimed to be the chosen one. So the rulers cast their verdict. He's no saviour after all. Let's read verse 35. The people stood watching and the rulers even sneered at him. They said, He saved others. Let him save himself if he is God's Messiah, the chosen one. Then the Roman soldiers have a go at Jesus. These these guys would have executed their fair share of rebels. And any time one of those prisoners starts talking about their kingdom and being a king, well, it's just laughable. Of course, here there's, there's nothing funny about it. Let's keep reading. Verse 36 to 38. The soldiers also came up and mocked him. They offered him wine vinegar and said, If you are the king of the Jews, save yourself. There was a written notice above him which read, This is the king of the Jews. Even one of the criminals gets his say. One of these guys next to Jesus on a, on a, on a cross of his own. And he spits out this verdict on Jesus. Jesus made such big claims. He did powerful things before. Where are his Messiah powers now? So the criminal makes his call. Jesus has nothing to offer me. He's no saviour. Look at verse 39. One of the criminals who hung there hurled insults at him. Aren't you the Messiah? Save yourself and us. 
It makes sense, doesn't it? On the face of it, the, the verdict of the rulers, the Romans, and, and, and the criminal seem reasonable. Hasn't Jesus turned out to be hopeless, dying like any other criminal? Surely his claims to authority and power are empty. If he was Messiah and king, he'd do the obvious thing. He'd pull himself off the cross, he'd heal up, he'd smash the cross and blast his enemies with God's power. But Luke shows us there's another verdict here. Another verdict. And it's surprising that it's not from a religious person, not the religious leaders, not even Jesus' own disciples who heard so much. No, this alternative verdict comes from the other wretched criminal. You see, he gets it. He sees that Jesus is unique, that Jesus has everything to offer him, even at the point of death. This criminal realises his own place before God, guilty, deserving death. But the criminal knows that Jesus... Well, he never put one foot wrong with God, not one thought, nor one word against God. So he says to the first criminal, don't be a fool. Listen to these words in verses 40 and 41. But the other criminal rebuked him. Don't you fear God, he said, since you are under the same sentence? We are punished justly, for we are getting what our deeds deserve. But this man has done nothing wrong. And then despite the fact that they are both nailed to a cross there, he and Jesus, the second criminal asks asks Jesus to save him. Not to physically take him down off the cross, but to give him life after death. With his last breath, he doesn't dismiss Jesus, he depends on him. And so here's the alternative verdict on Jesus. He really is a king, not an earthly king, but the ruler of God's spiritual kingdom. And he is able to save sinners, even in the face of death and God's judgment. That is, he can do something about this criminal's crimes into eternity. Somehow he's able to guarantee forgiveness from God. Incredible. How did he get it? I'd want to have that clarity about Jesus, wouldn't you, in the face of death? like that criminal, in the face of all your crimes against others, in the face of all your sin against God, to have that clarity to see that Jesus is your only hope in death. Let's look at the second criminal's words in verse 42. He says, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And then Jesus speaks such beautiful words to the man as he dies. Jesus promises him paradise. Now that word paradise, for us, it probably conjures up an image of a tropical beach somewhere with you lying in a hammock, sipping a pina colada or something. But in the Bible, paradise refers to a garden. It's God's garden. It's a place of great beauty and goodness where God lives. So Jesus is saying to the criminal, I am taking you today to be with God. Have a look at verse 43. 
Jesus answered him, Truly I tell you, today you will be with me in paradise. So far, we've seen different people at the cross have their say about what's happening. Next, God himself has his say. And God says two things, not with words, but with actions. First, God brings darkness over the whole land in the middle of the day. This is not just some solar eclipse. No, this is three hours of darkness over the land. Now, darkness in the Bible is a sign of God's judgment on human sin. That, that attitude of the heart that says, God, you have no part in my life. And God's judgment on this, this attitude on sin is death. Our sin is so abhorrent that only death will do. And on that first Good Friday, God blotted out the sun. He announces, I am judging sin. But at the same time, with the second act, God proclaims something new, a new closeness between him and humanity. See, God rips the temple curtain in two. This curtain of the Jewish temple was a barrier to the most holy place, the centre of the temple, in the presence of God. Because of sin, no person could enter there without dying, except that the high priest once a year with lots of ritual cleansing could go in there once a year, but no one can go in there on a pain of death. And that curtain symbolised the spiritual barrier between God and humans. But now the, ter- the curtain is torn. So even as God announces judgment on sin, he also announces a new and free access to himself. You see, God's verdict on what is happening at the cross is this. Sin is judged, and yet men and women can now come near to me. See what happens here in verses 44 and 45. It was now about noon and darkness came over the whole land until three in the afternoon for the sun stopped shining and the curtain of the temple was torn in two. And it's now as the curtain is torn in two that Jesus dies. With his last breath, he he gives his spirit over to God. It's a move of trust in his father. And everything that Jesus ever did, even this moment of his death, was obedient to God. He was sinless, innocent, completely righteous. The only one like that. Any witness could see it. Like the centurion that we meet next. And he gets the last word on Jesus. An outsider who praises God and marvels at Jesus. What's his verdict? Righteous. That's a a weighty word, isn't it? Righteous. Jesus was innocent of any crime deserving crucifixion. Absolutely, yes, that is true. He was innocent. But I think Jesus' righteousness goes further than that. Luke quotes the centurion as if to tell us, Jesus loved his father God perfectly. He carried out God's plan with 100% obedience. And 
Jesus was right in everything. He really is a king and saviour. He really can guarantee eternal life to a dying criminal. The last word goes to the centurion. And he's saying more than just, oh, it's a shame this nice guy had to die. No, his verdict is this. Here is God's righteous one dying a death that only an unrighteous person deserves. Let's read the final verses of our passage from uh, verse 46 through 49. Jesus called out with a loud voice, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. When he had said this, he breathed his last. The centurion, seeing what had happened, praised God and said, Surely this was a righteous man. When all the people who had gathered to witness this sight saw what took place, they beat their breasts and went away. But all those who knew him, including the women who had followed him from Galilee, stood at a distance watching these things. So what have we seen here? There are two verdicts on Jesus in this passage, aren't there? From those who witness the cross. Either he's a hopeless fraud who can't save anyone, or Jesus was right. He really does rule as the king of God's spiritual kingdom. He really can offer life with God in the face of death. And so for us, this Good Friday, Luke leaves us with a burning question. What is your verdict on Jesus? Will you make the right call this Good Friday? Because Jesus has what you need in the face of death. You do not want to squander this opportunity. The Bible says Jesus can bring you to God. He can bring you to God. Let me explain. You remember those two acts of God that we saw at the cross. Darkness and ripping the temple curtain. God was judging and punishing sin, but also bringing people near to him at the one and the same time. The book of 1 Peter in the New Testament shows how judgment and access fit together in Jesus. Peter says Jesus himself was being punished for sins, not his own, but the sin of everyone else in the world. Because he was righteous, he couldn't be punished for his own sin. He didn't have any sin. But he could take punishment for other people, unrighteous people like you and me. Now, I'm, I'm sure you're a nice person, but I've got to tell you, the Bible says that on your own, you are like those criminals on the other crosses. You're unrighteous. That is, you're not right with God. You, you have said to God, I don't want you. You have a sin infestation and there's nothing you can do to get it all out. You see, sin is like mould. <laughs> Hand up if you've found mould in, in your home in the last month in Sydney with all this rain. Isn't it the worst? It's the worst. You can never be sure that it's all gone. With all the rain, even the smallest amount of mould, the, the, the tiniest spore just 
flourishes and spreads. And once it's in, it's impossible to get out, isn't it? It just keeps coming back. And it turns up in weird places, doesn't it, in your home? In my, uh, my guitar cases, my guitar cases, they get mouldy almost every year. I clean them with vinegar. I store them in an airy place. I run the dehumidifier. But every time there's lots of wet weather, it just comes back. It's in the fabric of the case. Sin is in the fabric of every human being. And there's nothing you can do about it. It'll just keep coming back. If you were here today thinking, but I'm not, I'm not that bad, I'm a good person. Well, can I politely say, have a look at yourself for that mould. Don't kid yourself. You are unrighteous. Without Jesus, I am unrighteous. Without Jesus, eternal death in hell remains for all of us. But here's the good news of Good Friday. That darkness was a sign that your and my sin was being punished in Jesus' death. The righteous one was subbing in for the unrighteous and dying our death. What love, what kindness from Jesus. And now the curtain is torn. With our sin dealt with, we are free to approach God. No longer unrighteous, no more barrier. Jesus died to bring you to God, to make you part of his family, his child, both now and in eternal life. 1 Peter uh, chapter 3, verse 18 sums all of this up. You can see it here on the screen. For Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, to bring you to God. Do you want to be close to God this Easter? Here is the good news. You can be. Do you want to have eternal life with him? Do you want to enjoy freedom from the guilt of your mistakes, to, to not fear hell, to be able to pray to him as your father, to have purpose now and certainty in the future? Do you want that? Here is the offer. Here is the opportunity. Don't pass it up. See, I don't want you to have a Beatles moment. Don't be like Decca Records making the wrong call. They lost millions of dollars. But if we reach the wrong verdict on Jesus, we lose so much more. We lose eternal life. We will suffer eternal death in hell. No. Make the right call. Join that, that second criminal and put your trust in Jesus. You know what that means though, don't you? It means you've got to admit that you're unrighteous, not perfect, a sinner. If you're humble enough to do that, then it's as simple as asking Jesus to save you. In fact, I'm going to lead us in a prayer now that asks Jesus to save us. Today is the perfect day to come close to God. Don't wait, don't pass up this opportunity. Make it the best Friday. So let me read this prayer now. So you know what it says. 
and then we'll pray together. And if you decide to pray this with me, please share that news with someone today. We have so many ways that we can help you as you start following Jesus, and we'd love to celebrate with you. So here's the prayer that we're going to pray together. It says, Jesus, I recognise that you are God's perfect king. I know that I am a sinner. I know I don't deserve to live in God's kingdom. Thank you for dying on the cross to take my punishment. Please forgive me and bring me into your kingdom to live with God. Please help me by your Holy Spirit to live with you as my king. Amen. Will you pray this with me? Let's pray now. Jesus, I recognise that you are God's perfect king. I know that I'm a sinner. I know I don't deserve to live in God's kingdom. Thank you for dying on the cross to take my punishment. Please forgive me and bring me into your kingdom to live with God. Please help me by your Holy Spirit to live with you as my king. Amen.